Well, good morning. Well, this is the fourth and final week in our Making Room series, and Making Room is the name we've given to our, our building expansion effort. We not only need to make room in our building, but we also need to make room in our lives for the things that matter to God. If you've been with us the last three weeks, we've been looking at some of the dominant images that the New Testament uses to describe the church. The church is uh, a household of God. It's the body of Christ. We are royal priesthood. And uh, these images really kind of reveal our, our identity, who we are, and therefore how we should live. Today we're going to talk about giving, and it's not unrelated to what we've been talking about, because if we really are a royal priesthood, if we really are the body of Christ, if we really are uh, this household of God, that will inform how we give. It will inform our mind and our, our mentality toward giving. And so the principles we, we discuss today will apply to our general giving to the church week in and week out. will also apply to uh, giving to an effort such as making room. I want you to know before we, we begin today that uh, preaching about giving is not a necessary evil for me. It is not a burdensome obligation for me to preach about giving. It's actually a great joy. I love preaching about giving because what the Bible teaches about giving is beautiful and it's true. And people who embody these principles of generosity, their lives aren't small and diminished. Their lives are more expansive. Their lives are more generous, more full, more satisfied. And we would say the same thing about any area of obedience, any area of devotion to God. We would say that if you delight in God's word night and day, that you'll have a richer, more full life. If you pray without ceasing, your life will be so much more expansive than if you never turn to God. And so we would say the, the same thing about giving. And I hope that, that the passage we look, look at today really gives you a fresh vision for generosity because long-term, that's what we want. We want to be a church that doesn't just talk about generosity. We, we want to be a generous church in every way with all of our lives and that includes our giving. But our text today is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11. And this is a passage in which Paul outlines some very basic principles of giving. A few words about the context. There, were, there was a six-year period of time where the apostle Paul, it was 52 to 57 AD, where he invested an enormous amount of time and energy organizing a collection. He went around to all the Gentile churches around Asia Minor, a collection for the poor Jewish church in Jerusalem. And there were some reasons why this church was so poor. Uh, there, was, there was burdensome taxation, there was a famine, and then there was discrimination for Jews that became followers of Christ. So there were practical reasons, but you can look in, in Romans 15, and Paul gives a theological reason why these Gentile churches should give and help support uh, these, these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And his, his logic was this, he said, since they have shared with the Gentiles spiritually, primarily by providing the Messiah, then the Gentile churches should share uh, materially with the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And so they should reciprocate. It only made sense to Paul. And the, the church in, in Corinth had promised to contribute to this fund, but they hadn't come through yet. And so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 
in those chapters, Paul encourages the Corinthians to make good on their pledge. And in, verse, uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul articulates a principle that he'll apply to the topic of giving. It's very simple. Here it is. Reaping is proportional to sowing. Reaping is proportional to sowing. And since they had promised to contribute this generous gift to the poor church at Jerusalem, Paul says this, encouraging them to fulfill this commitment. He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so that's patently obvious, right? You don't have to be a a farmer. Uh, You don't have to be an agronomy to understand this. If you plant just a few seeds, you're going to have a small crop. If you plant a vast number of seeds over an expansive area, uh, generally speaking, you will harvest a great crop. You will, have, you will reap bountifully. And Paul used this observation to, to emphasize that in the Christian life, and we often miss this, there is a cause and effect relationship between what we do and, and what we experience of God. It is not the case that every Christian experiences God in the same way, regardless of whether or not they seek him and serve him. No, Paul's saying there's this cause and effect relationship between sowing and reaping. And it's not a, a mechanical thing. It's not in the mechanical sense. We aren't machines. We can't control our spiritual growth in an absolute sense. And there are many factors far beyond our control, factors that we cannot and do not understand. Nevertheless, our actions do have real-life consequences. We reap proportional to what we've sown. In Galatians 6, Paul used the same imagery. He talked about sowing to the Spirit or sowing to the flesh. He said those who sow to the Spirit, they reap this harvest of, of, of righteousness. Those who sow to the flesh reap corruption. There's a cause and effect relationship between what we sow and what we reap. Here in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul applies the issue to giving. He wants the Corinthians to understand that if they sow sparingly, they made this generous promise, but if they sowed sparingly that they would, through their giving, they would reap a small harvest. But if they sowed generously through their giving, they would reap bountifully. They would reap benefits. They would have rewards. Now, how does that sound to you? A lot of times we, we, we hear that there are rewards for giving and we recoil. We think, how can my motives possibly be pure? How can they possibly be right if I'm giving with a view toward these rewards that I'm going to give afterwards? Doesn't that seem selfish? Doesn't it seem mercenary? I'm giving so that I will get. And, and that's an issue because some teachers, some preachers, some churches distort what's taught here, and and they teach a a type of prosperity gospel. But what we're going to see in this passage is that the type of reward promised rules out selfishness. The reward itself addresses this issue. And here's the principle applied to giving. We see it in verses 7 through 11. If we give generously to the cause of Christ, here's the reward. God will give us greater capacity to be generous in the future, okay? So that's the reward, this capacity to be more generous in the future. And let's see how Paul gets to that conclusion. I think Paul is very, very persuasive here. Uh, It's it's powerful, powerful um, truth that he gives us here. And in verse 7, he he returns to a point that he'd made much earlier, namely that giving should be deliberate and intentional. 
He says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. And so he's encouraging the the Corinthians to be intentional. And did you notice that he said each one? So he's talking about every single believer in the Corinthian church, not just those that had a lot of extra money, not just the wealthy. He says each one is to be intentional. He says each person is to give just as he has purposed in his heart. So what's the presupposition there? It's that ahead of time, uh, each person had considered, pondered, there's probably thought. If you're living in a household, there's probably conversation. There's, there needs to be prayer. But as each one has purposed, Paul says, that's what you should give. And so it was supposed to be a common commitment among all the believers in Corinth. And so they should purpose in their heart ahead of time, and then they should give it. And what this means for us is that, that you and I should actually decide. We should be very deliberate about this. And sometimes we, we never get around to really deciding. We want to give. We know we should give. We feel guilty about not giving. But we never actually decide. So Paul's saying ahead of time, we should purpose in our hearts. We should decide what to give, and then we should give it. And so it's a very, very intentional approach. The alternative is to be very noncommittal and say, well, you know, I, I hope I give in the future. But it depends on a long, lot of things. It depends on if I remember. It depends on how I feel. It depends on whether I feel I can afford it. Paul's, Paul's de- is advocating a very intentional approach different from that. And so we would say to you, if you consider faith to be your church home, if this is the main place where you belong, we would encourage you to give regularly to the ongoing ministries of the church. And we would say each one of you, whether you make a little or a lot, we would encourage you to give regularly to the ministries of faith. And even though God has given us different capacities, I mean, we do, we have different capacities, different levels of income, but the heart that Paul's talking about here, it it should be across the board. And this is a common commitment in the household of God. It's a common commitment in the body of Christ. Uh, We're all in this together. We, we, We all should have this same commitment to generosity. And so that's week in and week out. As you'll hear in a few minutes, we we're also asking you to consider giving over and above regular giving to this making room effort. But how much should you give? Well, the general guideline in Scripture is that giving should be proportional to income. We'll come back to 2 Corinthians 9 in a few minutes, but I want us to see what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16.2. This is what he wrote. He said, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, Each one of you, again, it's not just a few, but each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I come. And so for Paul, that was a little different context. He didn't want to show up and then say, okay, now give me your offerings. He wanted them to set it aside ahead of time. And so each person was to set aside an amount, he says here, as he may prosper. In other words, each person's offering was proportional to his or her prosperity. And so those who earned more should set aside more. But everybody who earned anything should set aside something. Now, how much is that? Well, the Old Testament uh, taught a tithe, which is 10%. So you took what you made, divided by 10, 
that's a tithe. That's the amount. Uh, the New Testament is not, not that specific. Uh, it doesn't really teach a tithe. And in the Old Testament, there were occasional tithes on top of that. There were other offerings, so it wasn't just a tithe. But uh, given the, the pattern in the Old Testament, uh, I would conclude, along with a lot of pe- others who've studied it, that a tithe is a good starting place for believers in the New Covenant. The blessing we've been given in Christ in the New Covenant is so much greater than what was given in the Old Covenant. Uh, giving any less doesn't, doesn't really seem appropriate. So starting with the tithe seems, seems appropriate. Now, if you're not in the habit of giving, this may sound like crazy talk, okay? It may just sound totally unrealistic. You're talking about 10% of what I, I, I make. You say, that's a huge pay cut. I don't know if I can afford that. Well, it's something to consider, and it's something to work toward. And this may take you months or years to get to this, but the goal is generosity. I would encourage you to start somewhere, uh, but the goal is generosity. And there may be any number of different reasons why you haven't been giving or why you you aren't able to give. And uh, this may be the first time you've really ever heard about giving or really thought about giving. But there may be some things outside of your control that are keeping you from giving. Uh, Maybe you lost a job. Uh, Maybe you have become injured or ill or disabled and you're not able to work. Uh, Sometimes divorce can be brutal, absolutely brutal financially. Uh, maybe it's medical expenses. And so there, there are things that happen that, that make it, uh, giving challenging, almost impossible sometimes. But sometimes, other times, it's due to unwise financial, situ- financial decisions. We just have not lived in a way that's, that's wise. And so a lot of times there's a lack of contentment. Instead of saying, God, I'm content with what you've given me. I'm going to live within my means, meaning I'm going I'm to spend 70%, 80% of what I, I, I earn, and that's it. Sometimes we say, nope, I want more. And so we pile on the debt. And after we've made the car payments and paid the credit card, the monthly payment, paid the mortgage, there's nothing left over. Okay, and so sometimes it's our adopted lifestyle that me that makes it impractical for us for us to give. And so if that's you, there's no shame in it, but it but it's an area of growth. It's an area of maturity. The good news is that there are all sorts of biblical principles that address finances and there are virtues that the spirit can give you that can address a situation like this. Contentment, for example. Uh, read First, First Timothy 6. Paul is so profound when he talks about contentment. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain, implying godliness without contentment, there's great loss. And he makes some very obvious points. He says, we enter the world penniless, we leave the world the same way. No, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I mean, you just can't take any of it with you. And so you've been given an amount of money for a specific period of time. You're, you're, you're entrusted it. You're a steward of it. And so the goal is generosity. Work with your hands. Be wise. Be content so that you can share with those who have need. And so there's two ways to be content. You can either get more or want less. And so contentment. And it's tricky talking about contentment because affluence is, is a, relative, a relative thing. But eventually we need to get to the point where we can say, God, I am satisfied 
with what I have, and I'm satisfied with the standard of living that you've given me. My goal is not to make as much as I can and keep it for me and mine and spend it on myself. My goal is to become as generous as possible. That's the goal. That's, that's what's advocated throughout Scripture. And by God's grace, we can actually get to that point. In addition to being intentional and proportional, our giving should be cheerful. Back in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. In other words, don't give and then resent it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And that statement reflects the fact that we serve a personal God who actually notices our attitudes. We don't have a God who says, I beg of you, just just tip me every once in a while, just throw me a bone and I'll be happy. No, God says, I want you to be generous and I want you to be glad that you're generous. Uh, Read in in the book of Isaiah sometime, Isaiah 1, God said, I am absolutely tired of these sacrifices you're bringing. It's so burdensome to you, I'd rather you not bring it. I don't need that. And so God looks at our attitude. And so God loves a cheerful giver, meaning God wants us to be glad that, that we have given and not resented. It's actually possible to give a lot of money and then just resent it and just feel like, well, everybody else is not doing their part. I wish I hadn't done that. How would you feel if somebody gave you a birthday present? What if they they're just couldn't not lie? And they said, here, I want you to have this present, but I want you to know that I wish I'd spent the money on something else. I wish that I, I had it for myself. Here, take it. Enjoy it. You'd probably say, thanks, but no thanks. I really don't need that. And that's God's attitude. God says he loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Well, one reason is because God is a cheerful giver. Seriously, he's the giver of all good gifts. He gives generously and without reproach. And so God, when he provided his one and only son for us, he gladly sent Jesus at great personal cost, at great sacrifice to himself. But he's a cheerful giver, and we're imitating our heavenly father when we are cheerful givers. You know, last week we talked about the church as a royal priesthood, and we pointed out that as in the old covenant, uh, God cared the attitude of the priests. He, he tested the quality of their sacrifices, and the same thing is true of us. He, he tests the quality of our, our giving, and so God cares whether or not we give with joy and whether we give with faith. Uh, and it is a matter of faith to, to give. And one of the reasons I think that, that money is such a hard topic to talk about and people that don't really have any deep convictions about anything else, convictions about anything else, they're passionate about money, I think is because our money represents our life. You tell your employer, I'm going to give you 40 hours and then you're going to give me a paycheck. And so when I give away part of this paycheck, I'm giving away part of my life that I will never have back. And so it's a big deal when you give because it represents your one and only life. And so I think the, when we give, we're, we're to make it a, a joyful sacrifice. It takes faith. It takes faith to give and to believe that it's worth it. Looking at Luke 21 sometime, Jesus commended the poor widow who put these two small copper coins in the treasury. And uh, Jesus commended her because she gave sacrificially. She gave out of all she had to live on. Those that were wealthy, they gave a lot more dollar-wise, denarius-wise, but uh, they gave out of their surplus. It didn't cost them anything. They never felt it. 
And so when we ask you to give sacrificially, uh, we don't feel bad about that. It's good for you to give sacrificially. It's good for you to feel it. It's good for, for it to cost you something because that's a type of sacrifice that pleases our Heavenly Father. Well, verse 8 is significant because it describes what we can expect to reap. Here's the payoff. Here's the benefit. Here's the reward. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, that's the first thing, you're going to have sufficiency in everything. God says your needs will be met. And secondly, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And so you will have a greater capacity to be generous in the future. You will able, be able to do more good deeds in the future. And so if the, the Corinthians followed through on their giving, God would meet their needs. He would give them the capacity to be generous in the future. And so instead of being depleted and diminished, God says, no, actually, this is just the start. You will have greater capacity in the future. And you can't always say what this abundance will be. Uh, it, generally speaking, I think in, in good economies and in, in, in normal times, uh, sometimes the, the abundance will be financial. But God, one of the other things he does is he increases our heart's capacity to give. He increases our internal generosity. We have a greater desire and greater ability to, to hold what we have with open arms. And that's one of the most beautiful things that God does. And that's how, how all the virtues work. Love, for example. If you love somebody else sacrificial, it's not like it's going down, I'm out of love now. I, I don't love anymore. I'm all, I'm all done. No, you have a greater capacity to love. Same thing is true when it comes to giving. In verse 9, Paul gives an example from Psalm 112 to support his point. And uh, he's, the psalmist is talking about the person who fears God when he writes, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And so that's a man who sowed generously to the poor. He didn't keep everything he had only for himself. And the person who practices righteousness by giving to the poor is blessed with greater capacity and opportunity to do more righteousness in the future. And look at verses 10 and 11. I, I love what Paul says. I mean, he just nails it here. He's talking about sowing and reaping again. He points out that God is the one who supplied the seeds in the first place. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality or all generosity, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Paul's logic here is not going to be very persuasive to you if your ambition is to make as much money and keep it for yourself. You're like, why would I want that? But if your heart's cry to God is, God, I want to be a generous person. I want my heart freed up. I want my, my hands freed up to give freely to those in need. Then this is, this is powerful. Paul is saying he will increase your capacity. He will give you more seed so that you might, might sow more broadly in the future. In other words, you'll have increased capacity to give generously in the future. And the end result is thanksgiving to God. It always goes back to God. 
and never goes back to you. And if you belong to him, that's what you want. You want God to get the glory. And so I hope you see this. This, this is a, a, a fresh vision for generosity, okay? This is a vision for what our lives can be, what our lives should be. And so as the household of God, as the body of Christ, as a royal priesthood, uh, this is just a wise ambition, and it, it's beautiful. I've seen this in the lives of many different people. God is growing this in my own heart, and it's our ambition for this to be true, not only as individuals, but as a church. We're generous because God is generous to us. Robin Shauna, we'd like for you to come up now. We've asked Robin Shauna to come. This is their fourth week in a row coming up three services every every Sunday to talk about making room. Thanks. Good morning. Yes, almost done. Good to see a full house. It's excellent. Good to talk to you all. Um, so this is our last Sunday. Uh, we want to thank you guys, first of all, for allowing us the privilege to try to 